everybody, welcome back to a new episode of season two. Before we get started, please make sure to follow and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast, and please take a quick second to leave us a five-star review. This week, we are speaking with another outstanding pro athlete who has one of the most successful reputations on the platform. A world record holder, a world championship medalist, the one and only professional rower, Christine Tavallo. I'm like, at least it's stuck. All right. How are we doing, everybody? Welcome to another Tag Along Podcast. I'm pumped for today because we have Christine Cavallo with us. And if you don't know Christine, uh, which is a rarity, uh, Christine is a six-time national team rower who graduated from Stanford University. She recently represented the U.S., which we're going to get into more, in their first Coastal Beach Sprint national team and finished third in the mixed quad. Uh, as a former lightweight world record holder in the 2,000-meter ERG test uh, at 656, she is an animal. She will bring out the best of you and know how to find your full potential. We're pumped to have her on Tag Along. Pumped to have her here today. Christine, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Oh, my God. It's good to see you again. It's great to be back chatting about sports with you. Um, yeah, I'm excited. We're going to get into it today. I, uh, I wanted to ask you right off the bat, what, what have you been up to? Where, where are you right now? Um, I'm at Oxford, so we're dealing with a bit of a time jump between you and me right now. Um, I just started grad school here, moved here a few weeks ago. Uh, the visa was a nightmare to sort out, uh, trying to get that process to happen, but I am officially here legally. Uh, classes start next week and I'm also rowing here. So it's a kind of like best of all worlds that I'm passionate about. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you are an incredible athlete, incredible rower, but I want to touch before we get into all that, uh, what, what are you studying? Okay, so it is a brand new program this year. It's called Sustainability Enterprise in the Environment. It is a combination of the School of Geography and the Environment, which is a lot of science and policy mixed with the business school. So it's designing net zero economic models. My background is in environmental security, so I would love to be in the private sector enterprise space, but still very close to government and national security and international security things. Um, so we're definitely curating it as we go. But even like the introduction, introductory lectures have like, I like I could stay here and do a PhD. Like I am obsessed <laughs> with the topics here. Is that part, it was part of that, uh, the reason why you decided to go to Stanford? Like, was that a big part of it outside of the rowing? No. So I had no idea what I wanted to do going into Stanford. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad that I studied what I did at Stanford, but I've never had as much conviction in what that was until I came here. Like this program didn't exist when I was going to college and it definitely did not exist in an undergraduate format. Um, so I've always kind of said like the job I want doesn't exist yet. Not really knowing what that means. Maybe it was a cop out. Uh, being here is very validating that I was correct in that sentiment and I'm, I'm whittling it down for sure. Like this, this is the most right it's felt to be in school for me. That's awesome. Um, well, I'm excited to follow you on that because I know we had some conversations about that when we were back out in Stanford, uh, rowing out there. What was that? A, two, two years, two years ago? ago, 2019. Oh, gosh. That's Man. nuts. 
Um, so walk, walk me through, I mean, Christine and I originally met at, at a company called Hydro. Uh, some of you may know it, some of you may not. Uh, it's basically a connected fitness rowing company where Christine and I were both rowers there. Scott was a PA there. Uh, it's kind of how we all uh, met each other. And uh, Christine kind of took Scott under her wing and kind of you were ramping up for, for a test. Um, and Christine is no stranger to, to the ERT, which is like the on-land rowing machine before Hydro, which is kind of like the standard. I mean, it's still kind of the standard for collegiate rowing now. Um, what, like, I mean, everyone, you make fantastic connections, friendships, all that stuff in college, but you pursued quite a career afterwards. Uh, when you graduated Stanford, did you, like, what were your ambitions to make national teams? Were they to keep, like, when, when, when did you get that world record? What, what went through your head when you got it? Um, what did it mean to you? Was it kind of like, yeah, like, like walk us through that. Yeah. So I've, I spent a lot of time unpacking the last four years of the Olympic cycle, which was supposed to be like, supposed to only be three based on when I graduated. Um, COVID delay gave me a bonus round. Um, but I was pretty dead set on retiring. Like the second I finished my national championship in college, dropping the oar, not doing anything physically demanding for like six months. And then like maybe learning like how to road cycle. Um, my coach at the time, I had a new coach my senior year who started to like ask the right questions, set the right environment up for me to like opt in to enough things until I had this forward momentum I didn't even realize I'd created to where I said, yeah, I will go to the U23 team this summer. Yeah, I will go sign up for senior national team trials for the first time ever and race a single for the first time ever. What is there to lose? And I like, kind of tripped and fell into the elite level rowing but it was validated the second I got there by like the people who made themselves available and accessible who knew what it meant to be competing at this level who like basically all they had to say was I see you I see what you're doing and I respect it and like that was enough for me to say like that person of that caliber has opened themselves up to me I'm going to keep going on this path I need to see where it takes me the world record was something I kind of accidentally did my senior year of college. I didn't 2K all of college. And then not once, not, not once until my senior year, we did a 2K. Um, I sat at like a 145, 146 for 1500 meters and then sprinted the last 500 so fast that I went 656.4. So I like took like a lot That's of time huge. off in the last 500. Like it was a big drop. And I was like, all right, I'm 1.3 seconds off of the world record right now. But in reality, I've, I've done it. Like I, I had already done it. I just hadn't done it, like physically done it and demonstrated it. But in my head, I'm like, it's done. It's gone. It's over. And now you just have to get to a race and officially do it. So the next time there was going to be a race was the following year. And I, the only thing on my wall the entire time, cause I went back for a fifth year and started doing a master's degree at Stanford. Um, the only thing on my wall was a sign that I wrote that just said 1.3. <laughs> um, I trained, I, I have a very particular skill set that allows me to travel across the country and sit down on an erg in an arena and 
go very fast on a concept two machine. It's a very, very specific skill set, but in very acute moments, it's very cool. So got the in that in the world in which you operate in, it's a very desired skill set. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. One that many, many people, coaches, athletes uh, hope for, wish they could coach someone like that, wish they could have a teammate like that. Um, so, you know, don't don't downplay it that much. Christine. OK, well, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, but basically, after I set the world record, I didn't have goals outlined super strongly beyond that. Like so there was this emotional fallout afterward. I remember March of 2018, I like, I mean, in retrospect, it was like acute depression, but I could not get out of bed to go to practice and train. Like it was the weirdest thing. And I was just like, I'm so tired. Like what's going on? And like, looking back on it, there was just such an emotional swell. And I didn't have like a larger overarching goal of going to Tokyo that was as strong as the conviction I felt in that moment. So it was like this weird, like emotional process as well, beyond like, I'm sure there's a physical toll of going that fast, but it seemed like the emotional one was what stuck with me. I'm sure there's an element of like, you, you see that the record is there, you know, like, okay, it's 1.3 seconds. I know you can calculate that all out. Being selected for a team, especially in rowing, there's so many variables that you have literally no control over uh, that has to be emotionally draining. That has to be so uh, just challenging to like, okay, let's hope for the best today. And that I guess like that, that to me has always been the most fascinating. I mean, it's the reason why I did not row uh, is because someone else got to decide my career. And that, that to me is like, I get the, this targets here on 1.3 seconds behind. Um, so yeah, that's, what, what you do is, is impressive. And the fact that you were able to translate that to on water speed and get into the, even in the conversation is, is wildly impressive. So. Thank you. Yeah. I was going to add on because I obviously got to uh, witness all this in person, uh, including the, what you were just talking about, like not being able to get out of bed March, 2018, which was like a month before <laughs> national selection regatta. Uh, it, yeah, it's 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 so intense, and especially having worked for Tagalong this long now, I've gotten to like experience all the other sports. And when you're able to like look at what we've done in rowing, including yourself, and you apply it to other sports, you're like, oh, I would have probably done like I would have gotten selected here, or I or I wouldn't have put as much intensity into my like. It's just so weird how like the 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 borders and limits that we set upon a sport don't apply into other sports and they don't like translate well, but, and, and, you know, you, you, you look at yourself and you're like, I put so much work in and I don't have that much to, to reward myself physically or mentally. Um, but if I had done it in another sport, I would have probably been like, we, we give the example of Nick being a top nine, uh, top 10 guy, uh, leading into, into Rio for the U S and he's applauded for that. But then if you don't, if you get second at U.S. trials in rowing, you're no better than the guy who finished last that regatta. So it's it's so intense. Um, well, I wanted to kind of go back into what we were talking about, which was the the rowing machine world. <laughs> uh, obviously, you have like that big reputation uh, in that world because of like your your titles and your records. And for me, 
I know that I really enjoyed um, doing like long study stuff and the long hard stuff. But when it came to like the high intensity, like when it came down to to pushing myself at the very end of a 6K or even just doing an entire 2K, I just, I was so lost. Even though I'd been 15 years of rowing, I still couldn't figure it out until I'm we were all in Miami and you were kind of breaking things down so minimally like, Hey, from stroke 61 to stroke 72, you're going to do this. And I'm like, Oh, okay. This is really laid out. And I like just the fact that you were able to dissect that whole piece for me or with me, it was, it gave me so much confidence. And so I wanted to kind of ask you like, how did you get to that point? Because some, for some people it clicks to do, to dissect things like that. And for people like me it wasn't until I experienced it yeah I mean that's a good question because I almost feel like I accidentally stumbled into it the first few times I was doing pieces like a freshman in high school 14 years old um like my my first ever 2k was a 157 split and it was because the week before I did a 4k and it was a 201 split And so everyone on the team was like, oh my God, you broke two. That's crazy. And I was like, obviously, (laughs) like I did one that's twice as long. Like this just makes sense, right? And I didn't really realize how fast I was going, but I ended my freshman year at a 722, which is like a 150.5 split. When I was, I don't even think I had turned 15 yet. And I was lightweight and like, it kind of like broke people's brains um which is cool to think about but then the following year I only dropped four seconds so like whatever um I do think I accidentally created a great template and I remember when we would go to selection events or they would call them ID camps but basically anyone who was interested in the national team you would go to the ID camp in your region and do an erg test in front of the national team coaches for them to record and I remember going there with like people who are technically rivals. Like uh, I rode for Orlando Area Rowing Society. I had friends on Winter Park and friends on Plant, um, Lake Brantley. Like if anyone's in the Florida rowing community, those all stand out and they're probably not all friends because you're racing all the time. (laughs) Uh, But I remember writing 2K plans for these people and like they would either PR on the plan or they would miss it, but come to me and say like, I now know what I need to do. Like I see where I deviated from the plan and like what I need to do for next time. So it was like pretty cool from an early point to be able to like reproduce that model for other people. And it's changed a little bit since then. Um, I think once you get faster and faster and faster, like you become more of a flat line. Like there's still like the bait that's, there's less, standard deviation exactly like you're you're closer to that goal split the whole time but like that's just because you're at the edge of your physical potential um but like still there's ways to go about it where like 99 percent versus 101 percent like being mindful about when you're in those spaces to actually breathe actually use them as like your foot is slightly off the gas like get your crap together. Cause we got to go in a couple strokes, like <laughs> mm-hmm. being very intentional about where both your physical body is, how you're moving it. And then your headspace as you're moving it, like keeping all of those connected in the system. Like once you learn how to leverage that, all the wasted energy kind of goes away. But Scott, you also helped me 
when I was doing steady state, cause I was so bad at like longer distance pieces and something you said that stuck with me was like your splits all over the place. Like you're bouncing up and down. You're doing like, also like just try and get the same exact number every single stroke. And I cannot tell you the amount of times that I've like both done that for myself and then done that in coaching for people now, just like the, the idea that if you're like going from a 151 to a 154 to a 152, like that swing is hemorrhaging watts because it's like revving your engine over and over yeah. and over again versus cruise control. So right back at you. I hugely appreciate your framework as well. 15 years were not wasted. <laughs> Thanks. It's such a it's such a fascinating sport to that extent where you you have this typically a box of numbers that you're staring at. And for the longer rows in particular, you're you're trying to just replicate the same exact thing. And I think one of the reasons why people enjoy working with you, Christine, on tag along or just in coaching in general, is that like whether they know it or not, you are very strategic about why if someone says to your point earlier of, oh, yeah, I broke down with, um, you know, 800 to go. And it was like, well, let's look at what we had planned for. And you didn't execute that part of the plan. Well, we know how we can fix that particular part of the plan, because at the end of the day, you're not just out there you know, rowing and, and meandering through. It's like, yeah, no, over 2K, you're probably going to take 220 strokes. And there's there's a uh, exactly what Scott was saying. From 62 to 71, you, you know, you have this plan. And ever since I met you, you were the type of person that it just, for me, it was very easy to see anytime I heard, um, like, I think it was your old coach or someone that was like, oh yeah, Christine's a uh, ball of sunshine in a uni or something. And so that was the original impression that I ever had of you. When I met you, I was like, I guess that's a version of her. But like the version that I knew was like, I don't do things unless there's a reason and a purpose for why I do them. And that's always been the Christine that I know. And that all of the, you know, dots that where to have led you to where you are now, like they add up, they, they make sense. It's very easy to see how they're connected. And it's you're, you're a serious person. You're, you're an intense athlete. You're an intense person. But that's a good thing when it comes to all the where you are right now. I'm like just mentioning that you're in Oxford right now. You're studying and you could see yourself getting a PhD like that. That's not a normal frame of mind for, for people to have, especially not athletes. Like to just think that you could keep progressing and going in this way. Like it's it's impressive. It's, it's aspiring for sure. Um, but uh, the erg is nice. It's, it's on land. The sport is on water. Uh, what, what is your favorite part about rowing? What, and this is leading because you're a single scholar, you're a scholar, but uh, like what, what, is, what is the thing that drew you to stick with rowing for so long? Uh, the other people, which is also interesting to say when you say single scholar. Um, it's always been a team sport for me. Um, like there are a few times when I've passed out in races and we've done like research on it and I've gotten everything tested and every single system works. And the only time it happens is when I'm in a boat with other people. And like the only thing that I can link it back to is that there's this energy that is greater than myself and my body tries to match it. And it just doesn't fit within the confines of one human body. And therefore I pass out, but like, like I'm so motivated by the people that I am around who are equally vested in in whatever we're trying to pursue. And so like, I've had to tamp myself down a little bit and like say like, okay, but you need like need to get to the finish line. Otherwise this is all for nothing, right? So like, like it doesn't really matter how stoked you are to be in that experience or like 
be racing for those other people. Like I've had to kind of regulate that back. Um, but it, it's definitely like for, for me to continue rowing, it's been the people that I've met outside of the boat on the race course going up against like the way that it has shaped me as a person for the rest of my life transcends the sport. And that that's why I'm in the sport. It's like a proxy of proxy is probably not the right word, but it is this tool that allows me to go deeper into one specific thing than most people ever get the opportunity to do in their lifetime. And I recognize so much how that's a privilege. And I, it's just something that like, yeah, there are bad days. There are times when I have taken that opportunity for granted, but like coming out the other side of it, I wouldn't change the amount of time that I've put towards this sport. It's, it's, it's changed every other aspect of my life for the better. Yeah, no, for sure. And I would definitely not box you in as like a single scholar as like a definition. I think that was just the way you went from Stanford into what the past couple of years were. And I think that just, we just have to use that as a means of, of transportation. It's, it was how I, I was, it's how I, I was introduced to you again. It was but like, I will say that like good. Christine's a very big people person. And I think you would, probably agree that you would rather row with other people than than just sitting by yourself all the time um so my next question goes into like the future of rowing and kind of how you fit in it but also how we all fit in it so obviously uh the lightweight rowing got pushed back another olympic cycle but it's supposed to you know go out go out the back door uh after 2024 there's coastal rowing that's um becoming bigger obviously beach sprints which you just did um is seems a lot more fun now that you've like advertised it like what for you in your in in your head in your context like what does rowing look like in the future like how how are you interpreting it you know distances are going to change depending on the on, on the location like what what are you thinking what are you envisioning yeah i mean it's all a bit chaotic um <laughs> For me personally, like I'm not going to close the door on any one of the things that you just said, especially having experienced coastal, like it's nuts. Like if you've ever gone surfing, like that's the same way you go up and down the waves. It's like, if you're on the back of a wave, you conserve energy, you lengthen your stroke out. If you're on the like crest of a wave or waves coming up behind you, you row like, it's not about getting the top inch, which was like, when I went to trials, I was like, we just have to like get our blades in between the waves grab the top edge and push through. And like, luckily we won trials, but that was not the right theory. <laughs> and I found that out afterward, like training for the actual world championships when they were like, no, you're rowing at like three quarter slide. And when a wave comes up behind you, half slide, like huge layback. And I was like, wait, wait, whoa. So like, you're telling me the way that I used to row before I had years of elite coaching, that's actually how you're supposed to row in coastal immediate reversion back to lizard brain Christine first time ever rowing I was in my most primal form and it was amazing it's like at the same time I haven't forgotten how to skull and like being lightweight versus being open weight like that's another part of this adventure entirely like right now I think my body needs to heal a lot from what it's been through over the last few years um I'm racing open weight here at Oxford and to be able to put on muscle and not worry about like having to 
like reduce that gain in muscle mass in like the coming months. Like I feel very free to grow every aspect of who I am as an athlete and just like not worry about the things that I used to have to really focus on as metrics. So, and plus I'm like learning how to sweep row again. It's this whole blend of people who started rowing a year ago versus Olympians. Like the spectrum on this team is huge. Um, So like the future of rowing, if we're talking broadly, then yeah, it's going to be lightweight rowing to 2024. And then who really knows, but probably that's going to step back and we're going to have the X games version of rowing, which is beach sprints in 2028. Uh, It'll be very cool to see us rowing actually try and develop that over the coming years because 2028 is going to be in LA. So they have a vested interest in having a great us representation there. Um, But for me personally, like, again, I'm closing zero doors. I'm just seeing where my body can go healthily and making sure that like, there are things that I'm passionate about that aren't rowing as well. When is the time to feed those things? And when is the time to say, hey, you only have a finite amount of time in this sport to be at the top level. And so you should really lean into that now. And I don't think they have to be black and white all the time, which is how I ended up here in the early end of the next Olympic cycle. Do you think they changed the distance for standard traditional rowing? I don't think so. Like it just, if if they change the different distance, it would be a different physiological zone that you're being asked Mm -hmm. to enter. Like a 1500 is not the same as a 2K. I think anyone who's done both could attest to that. So yeah. Well, I had heard that that uh, FISA was thinking about going to somewhere around the 1500 meter race course in LA because that would keep them closer. Uh, that would uh, that would keep them closer to to uh, the Olympic Village versus being like you know 100 miles away. Uh, but who knows? Yeah, it hasn't stopped them in the last however many Olympiads there have been over the last century and beyond. Like mm-hmm. The modern Olympics, as long as rowing has been in there, I, it's, I'm, it's, it's a 2K race. And mm-hmm. I should have all those facts, but I don't. But like it, for, them to, to, for them to switch back just for like a time and space constraint, I think pretty unlikely. Rowing is also the first event. So like just to have them located somewhere else for that series again like the same way we're talking about the athletes in tokyo not having people watch them like no one comes anyway like it's not yeah that's a hugely exciting element of the olympics but like so many world records were set in an environment where there was no one in the stands like that doesn't need to be there and so i don't think we need to go to that course in la which they built a highway across the 1500 meter mark because they're like well, we're never going to need this again um yeah and it, and it's it's like 90 miles east of la like yeah. it's not close to la but rowing is the first event it's also the event with the most athletes it's you know and you do one event if you're in the eight that's it you do the eight and that's what, 75 athletes total so that's 75 athletes you got to get there 75 athletes you got to feed 75 athletes you got to house for one event that, that you said that no one watches so like that versus swimming where there's tons of events and maybe or track and field where there's tons of events where you do and double so it's a it's an interesting sport and i feel like if they make changes in it it will be to make it shorter so that 
you see who the fastest 500 meter sprinter is. It doesn't mean anything in the world of rowing, but it means something when you're televising it. And I, I feel like, like that's, that's the only way that. that they're going. But yeah, that's a separate conversation. Or beach sprints. Right up there. That was nuts. That was so nuts. And that was what, Portugal? Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. How many teams raced? Like how many teams were racing in the event you did? Uh, There were a couple hundred athletes there total. Yeah. And it's all like you raced in quads. There was quads. That's what that was. Quads, doubles, singles, mixed doubles. There were junior events. There were senior events. Okay. Um, I was in the mixed quad and that was the only event that I raced. A lot of athletes doubled up. And then the following weekend was the coastal world championships. So it was open ocean, six K racing, which is also absolutely insane. Yeah. It is just, it is cool. It is very, very cool. What does the time compare to if you were to do a flat 6K versus this coastal? Is it comparable because you are riding waves or no, it's significantly slower? Oh man, that's a great question. I think like there are so many factors that yeah. come into it. I would, I would say the overall time is slower because the way they build the course is like cross country where there's buoys you have to weave uh, around and like, cool. it and like come around you hope that you have the lead because boats are crashing and flipping, oars are breaking. Like the Norwegians were two Olympians, Oscar Helvig and Kjetil Borch, and they crashed with the, I think it was um, Belgium. Oh God, I think it was Belgium. Um, And they smashed oars of both boats. And so the crew that the Norwegians hit handed them their last good oar I was like, here, go, go, go on. It was like this epic show of sportsmanship. That's pretty cool. So cool. And then like these photos at the end of them all posing together, like a broken oar, like it was just good energy. And yeah. the best part of it for me was like in flat water rowing, like if there's a ripple on the water, like if anything goes wrong, like it just, it, like it needs to be glass, right? Like it needs to be like pretty idyllic conditions. Whereas like, as long as the waves are shorter than one meter, anything goes. And like, there's no yeah, such yeah. thing as breakage. Like, wow. like it's just, it's way more recognizing that the ocean is more powerful than you as an individual. And therefore like stay humble the whole race. So yeah. you don't miss getting yelled at by waking someone out on the Charles river on 7am and all that. No, 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 no personally. No. <laughs> Uh, me well we can't thank you enough for coming here we want every tag along podcast here we have a little rapid fire section at the end so i'll let scott start it off here because i always always ruin the rapid fire element of that but we'll see how today goes (laughs) yeah what's your go-to snack uh carrots like Like carrots 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 Uh, probably playing carrots or popcorn. Uh, it's actually popcorn. It's popcorn. I take it back. It's popcorn. It's popcorn. Right. What's, a, what's a secret hobby? I feel like we've learned so much about you today, but what's a secret hobby or interest that you have? Oh my God. I don't have any because I row and I'm very aware of the fact that I don't have any. Um, I curate playlists, but they're miserable for anyone else to listen to. So I don't share them with people. I've actually been going back because I'm tired of my own playlist and I've been going back to your profile and looking back at some of them. No. Oh, yeah. 
I like this, I don't like this. Based on the title, what does this mean in her life? Anyways, moving on. <laughs> what was the last hard workout you you did? Um probably beach sprints because it's back to back to back three rounds like bracket style racing Mm -hmm. and so the turnaround for us from the semi-final to getting knocked into the b-final was like five minutes and it's just like pure lactic acid so like by the end of it like i was like like smashing my forearms trying to get it like the the pressure in there to go down and and just to explain it's one person out of that crew runs from the beach onto the boat then they get shoved off into the first set of waves it's 250 meter sprint around a buoy 250 meters back and that same person sprints back to the finish line on the beach right so the coxswain sprints into the quad and the bow seat sprints out of the quad so two different people do the sprint unless it's the single and then you do it all yourself (laughs) cool but yeah (laughs) fun uh if, if you, you could, could tag, tag along, along with one, one athlete, athlete dead or alive, who would it be? Oh my God. Mia Ham. Cool. So, Bringing you back to your early soccer days? Yeah, my dream, my alter ego. All right, last question. What is uh, a favorite quote or advice or mantra that you live by? The faster you go, the sooner it's over. I think that's very I fitting like for you. <laughs> that's how you set a world record <laughs> cool unless it's a time-based workout right and then it kind of changes that but i don't do time-based workouts anymore nick it's not really a thing anyways christine thank you so much for joining us uh you've been a pleasure to work with that tag along uh it's no surprise that people love working with you and, and with their main goal of improving getting faster um so it's it's just always great i'm glad we're friends glad i met you glad you're taking the time to to be with us here and uh yeah if people want to work with christine you know other than the time difference uh she's uh in in england right now but you can find her on the tag along app and uh you know train with her get advice from her training plans from her uh christine thank you again really appreciate it yeah, thank you, Nick. Thank you, Scott. It's awesome to catch up with you guys. And that's a wrap for episode seven of the Tag Along with a Pro podcast. Thank you very much for listening and supporting us. Thank you very much to Christine for taking some time to speak with us while she's abroad about her past, her present, and her future in the rowing world. You can find Christine on the Tag Along platform and on Instagram. And we'll catch you next week. See ya.